put out the quick call, and um, but I don't want you to take what uh, is about to be preached tonight lightly, because after Sunday, I felt the Lord impress upon me that the message that I heard in Lebanon on Sunday needed to be preached here. I certainly do not intend to tie your hands, Spencer, but if that's what the Lord has impressed upon you, uh, I'm impressing it upon you tonight because I feel like it is a word for this congregation. We want you to come tonight, open your heart and the word of the Lord. Let's worship tonight as we receive the word. Would you stand with me? I believe that Wednesday, I've, I've heard it said before, that Sunday night is, is our night where we all love to come to church. It's our amped up night. It's the exciting night. And Wednesday is the night for the people that really love God. It's the, the Monday through, through Sunday people. But I, all joking aside, I don't think that Wednesday night is any lesser of what God can do. I don't believe that, uh, that, that a day of the week changes the possibility that's in the room. I don't believe, some of y'all might not believe that, but I've come to tell somebody that on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night in a prayer meeting or a Thursday night in a Bible study or a Sunday afternoon in a karate dojo or whatever it may be that God can move and God can transform and God it's easy for it's easy for us to sing about our God that's greater but it's a whole lot harder to believe after a after a long day on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday but I've come to tell somebody that we don't just sing about the God that is greater but we serve the God that is greater that I stand in a room of unlimited potential and unlimited power possibility. It doesn't matter if it's two or three or four or 2,000 or 3,000. I am in a room where anything can happen despite the music or the sound or the preacher or the facility or the congregation. I wish you'd throw your hands up in the air and if for a few minutes we could begin to usher in the presence of God believing that anything is possible. Lord, right now, by your power and by your authority. God, we've come here with a purpose, believing that you're going to transform lives, believing that you're going to put back together marriages, believing that you're going to fix problems and heal individuals and touch hearts and bless finances and reach into homes and hospital rooms and circumstances. We're believing it, God. We are expecting it, Lord. Now, if you believe that, could you take a few more seconds and give the Lord some Holy Ghost praise. Come on, if you believe that, could you worship like you believe that? If you believe that, could you throw your hands up in the air and begin to exalt and worship the God of unlimited possibility? Jesus. On Sunday, as I began to study for Lebanon, I knew emphatically that the words that I were about to preach were for Lebanon, but not for Lebanon alone. I believed it was a word for our assembly. I believed it was a word for our people, both in Frankfurt and in Lafayette and in Lebanon. I believed that it was, it was very much of God, and it was confirmation to me when my dad came to me after service, and he said, you've got to preach that to CLC. And at that moment, I realized something. At that moment, I realized that it's one thing to come with 
to come to a pulpit with a nice thing to say or one of our cool Christian catchphrases, but it's another thing to walk to a pulpit knowing that you've heard from God. No matter what day of the week it is and no matter who's there, when you know you've heard from God, you know that something is getting ready to happen. And I prayed the prayer, Lord, in spite of me, do something in this place. In spite of me, not because of my words or my efforts or anything that I could say, but God, I've heard from you. And I believe I've heard from the Lord tonight for a word for each of us. As you're seated, I want you to look at somebody next to you and I want you to say, we're not called to occupy. I heard maybe three people in this place. Lift up your voice, say, we're not called to occupy. We are called to multiply. Somebody say multiply. I can't hear y'all. You say multiply. In Genesis, when I heard some people yelling in the back, and I appreciate that. That's, that's faith right there. In Genesis chapter 1, in some of the very first scriptures and accounts that we are given in all of the Old Testament, the scripture reads, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. This was something that was given and commanded to mankind on the very first day. In fact, it was one of the very first commandments given by God to man. To man. We understand that from the very beginning, we were called to multiply. Adam and Eve were not called to occupy the garden alone. They were not called to live there, sleep there, be there and nothing happened, but we understand that they were called to multiply it. The scripture is very full of multiplication. It's often something that is associated with blessing. In Hebrews, the scripture says, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply me. I multiply thee. I believe that we serve a God that seeks for us not to multiply or not to occupy daily living alone, but I believe that we serve a God that wants to multiply us daily. I want to highlight a very specific topic of multiplication given in scripture. It's the account of the multiplication of the fish and of the loaves. It's something that we have heard since we were children. We've heard it in Sunday school classrooms. We've heard it given to us as bedtime stories as kids. It's not a story that is strange to any of us, but more than the story, I want you to understand the principle and the pattern that was laid before us in this passage of Scripture. Matthew 14, verse 13 says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed, th he departed thence by ship into a desert place. Now, this passage of Scripture confused me at first, but I begin to understand that when Jesus is your captain, sometimes he departs you into a desert on a ship. It didn't, didn't make much sense to me, and I continued to read. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out into the cities. This passage, you see, begin to 
begin to explain what was taking place. And in verse 14, it says, And Jesus went forth, and he saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And finally, in verse 15, it says, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. And they told Jesus, they said, Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and, in essence, and buy themselves food. It's funny that the disciples are looking at the creator of all creation. They are looking at the Lord of lords, the only true God, as if he doesn't know the circumstance, and they said, Jesus, first of all, you're in a desert, as if he didn't have two eyes and couldn't see around them. And they said, second of all, Jesus, they said, it's past supper time. Now you need to send these people on down their way and allow them to get to Pizza Hut. The service has gone long. They're standing in the desert. There's a long drive in between here and Applebee's. They said, Jesus, send these people on and, and allow them to eat. And I find it very interesting how that Jesus replies to this passage of Scripture in verse 16. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. They said, We're running out of time, Jesus. He said, They need not depart. Give ye them what they're looking for. They said, We're in the in the middle of the desert, Jesus. He said, He said, They need not depart. I understand that when Jesus shows up on the scene, that deserts are sufficient and time is transcended beyond our realm of understanding. That when Jesus shows up, we 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 see more than the amount of time that's been given by the doctor or or the amount of money that was given in the financial statement but when Jesus shows up on the scene even deserts are sufficient in Matthew 14 verse 19 and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude notice in this scripture something interesting occurs we often associate this passage of scripture as Jesus performing the miracle by simply his own hands but what the scripture teaches us is that Jesus took the bread and he broke it there was no miracle in the simple breaking of the bread but then he continued on to take the broken bread and to give it to his disciples. And when the bread was finally given to the disciples, the miracle began to take place. It says, And the disciples to the multitude, and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets fuel. Jesus to the disciples, the disciples to the multitude. This miracle begins to take place. This same account of Scripture is given to us in Mark 6, verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up 
to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them and the two fishes divided he among them all and they did all eat and notice it says and they were filled notice the entire miracle the entire miracle is done through multiples of two. First, Jesus breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciples. The disciples splits it in two. When they hand it to one, they split it in two again. And the whole entire miracle is done in multiples of two, while two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16. And, and, and what I want you to understand that, that the Lord is laying before us in this passage of Scripture it's exactly how that revival is going to come about in the city of Frankfurt, in the city of Lebanon, and in the city of Lafayette. When, when, when one reaches two, and when two are discipled, and they, and they reach four, and four reaches eight, Jesus did not desire to do the miracle by his hands alone, but he did the miracle through the people. So when eight becomes 16, and, and 16 becomes 32 and I want you to notice that the entire miracle was carried out through the hands of the people the way that Jesus intends to multiply Christian life church is not by doing one sudden miracle when when a thousand people walk through the doors and I believe that it's very possible but I believe that it's going to come when two of us decide to reach four and when four are discipled and we reach eight and eight are discipled I wish you'd understand that principle with me that Jesus is laying before us that the miracle was provided in the multiples. If one can chase a thousand to flight and two, ten thousand, we're very familiar with, with the, the, the principle of multiplication in Scripture. He multiplies and then again he multiplies from the multiples. There's, there's importance here. In John 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread? that these may eat. This is an interesting passage of Scripture because if we look over it very quickly, we begin to believe that it was the same story that I read in the beginning of this message. But it, it is a separate account when, when the, the multitude is gathered in Jesus, the creator of all, the one that, that has all the answers, the one that knows the, the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, looks at Philip. And I want you to notice he he saith unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And I want you to notice something in verse 6. In this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip, it's going to take a million dollars to buy a building. This he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. How are we going to seat that many people? This he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. How is a, a few hundred people going to fundraise $60,000 in one offering in one night for this? 
this, he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. Well, how in the world are you going to start a church in a karate dojo? For this, he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. Well, how how in one year's time are you going to go from having two services on a Sunday to four services extending out? For this, he said, for this, he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. I believe that this is an interesting passage of Scripture that is not just given to every reader of of, of this passage, passage, but I believe that it is a passage of Scripture that this church needs to hear. That when the question was, uh, when the question arose, how are we going to build this building? When the question arises, well, how are we, how are we even going to afford to make it to the next Sunday? When the question arises, says whether there's no buildings available to start a church and and we turn to a karate dojo when when the questions arise it is God's opportunity to prove himself when the situation arises it is God's opportunity to prove himself when the when the sickness arises when the empty bank account is realized for this he said to prove him for he knew what he would do and it continues philip answered him 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them a million dollars can't even build that building he said he said 200 penny worth is is not sufficient for them that that every one of them may take a little and in verse 8 one of his disciples andrew simon peter's brother saith unto him there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But, but what are they among so many? I want you to realize that Jesus performs a miracle of 5,000 people by the picnic basket of just a little lad. What are kids doing up in the worship altar in the midst of church? What, what, what are they among so many? What's a group of youth going into the city of Lebanon trying to launch a church? What, what, is, what is a 10-year-old doing standing next to his dad helping, helping lead worship? I wish the youth was in here tonight, but if you believed in them, you'd back me on this. Because what I want you to understand is that in order to perform a miracle of 5,000 people, Jesus takes a lad when the adults can't believe that it's possible. And through this lad, he performs a miracle of 5,000 people. I've come to tell you that if you don't believe in, in, in God being able to send 5,000 people to Christian Life Church, then God's going to perform it through a lad. If you don't believe that the campus is ever going to be completed, then God's going to do it through a lad. If you don't believe that a church is going to be established in the city of Lafayette or the city of Lebanon, then God's going to do it through a lad. But what are they among so many but what's a little lad among so many but what what's a little lunch among so many what's a church of 40 in a city of 17,000 what's a church of 250 in a city of 16,000 what what is a $60,000 offering when, when there's really a million dollar need what is what in this he said to prove him for he knew 
what he would do. So he performs the miracle. What, what, what's a kid doing in the pulpit with two fists? He doesn't even have two cents because, because if God needs to speak a word and nobody else will speak it, he'll do it through a lad. If God needs to perform a, a, a miracle and, and nobody else is going to believe it, he'll, he'll perform it through a 10-year-old child. He'll, he'll perform it through a little picnic basket. It's just a multiple of the miracle. What's a door knocked when there's thousands more? It's just a multiple of the miracle. What, what's a kid doing doing street evangelism? It's just a multiple of the miracle. What's a little offering with this great big need? It's just a multiple of the miracle. I believe that if we could have heard what Jesus' thoughts were at that time, we would understand that he'd look back at Philip and he'd say, Philip, a lad's just a multiple of a miracle. You, you, you might feel like your offering is small, but it's just a multiple of the miracle. You may feel like that spending an hour building a church building is, is very minute, but I've come to tell you, it's just a multiple of the miracle. When 30 people show up to church, it's just a multiple of the miracle. A, a little building in the middle of nowhere, it's just a multiple of the miracle. A crowdy dote, it's just a multiple of the miracle. Notice in the first account given, Jesus feeds 5,000. However, there's a second account, a second separate occurrence in which Jesus feeds 4,000 people. It is within this story that I intend to dive deeper into this principle of multiplication and what it means for us. And I'll try to move quickly. Matthew 15, then, then came Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. The Pharisees show up on the scene confronting the king of kings about whether or not his disciples wash their hands. The, the, am, I, am I not understanding this correctly? The Pharisees show up on the scene to confront Jesus about why his disciples did not wash their hands. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Notice Jesus had not yet begun to feed 4,000 people. His decision to feed the people occurred directly after the Pharisees showed up on the scene ridiculing him for what they would do as they begin to feed the people. Jesus had not yet given a plan to feed the people. Jesus had not yet told anybody that, that they were going to feed the people. It's interesting how the Pharisees show up prior to the miracle ridiculing about how the miracle is getting ready to, to take place. The Pharisees ridiculed him on, on, on their method of how they would eat, on their method of how they would feed people but before it ever begins to happen. And in verse 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. This is Jesus speaking. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of of men, what's interesting here is, is Jesus begins to quote 
a Old Testament passage of scripture in Isaiah 29. It speaks the exact words wherefore the Lord said, for as much as the people draw nigh unto me with their lips, with their lips do they honor me. And it's the exact same passage of scripture. But if you stop there, you'll think he's just quoting it. But I want you to understand the prophecy that was taking place. Because if you go one scripture further, in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. Even a, sorry, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. In this passage of Scripture that Jesus is quoting in the New Testament from the Old Testament, it reveals something more than a quote, but it reveals a prophecy that after Jesus corrected the Pharisees, he was getting ready to not only perform a marvelous work but it says a marvelous work and a wonder Jesus continues and he he makes a possessed a possessed woman whole and great multitude came unto him having having with them those that were lame blind dumb maimed and many others cast them down at Jesus's feet and he healed them he begins to do this marvelous work but the prophecy given in Isaiah that Jesus quotes does not stop there but understand that after the marvelous work proceeds a wonder then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way and notice the Pharisees are amongst the crowd that he was speaking to they mocked him for his concepts but but now they eat his bread they mocked him for for the concepts but now they want to eat dinner with him that you mocked me over my hand washing but now you eat my bread you ridiculed the building project but now now you're gonna eat the bread of it you you ridiculed me for for prophesying of a hundred soul revival but but now now you you're gonna eat eat the bread of, over it you said another a church would would never be established there but but now notice now the they, they eat the bread over it it's interesting that when the naysayer comes along in the mocker in the doubt it's always the very same people that mocked, mocked, ridiculed, talked about, and said it was impossible. That are the very same people that will sit in the seat of the building, that will eat the bread of the miracle, that will be there when it all comes to pass and it all works out. And they'll amen it and shout about it. But in the beginning, they doubted it. They talked about it. They... <laughs> Some of y'all aren't hearing me because, because this is exactly what takes place all the time is that the very same person that doesn't believe in it is the very same person that'll say, well, bless God. How'd that happen? Well, well bless God. There, there's a building there. Well, 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 how in the world that little apostolic Bible church there, they're building a building. I, it was never going to be possible there. Well, that little, that little group of a, that little youth group in a karate dojo, that, that's never going to happen there. But the very same people that mocked it were the very same people that were in the crowd that ate of the bread. And then it says in Isaiah, for, 
for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid for the logic of the Pharisees shall perish but the understanding of the of the naysayer shall be hid well, well I don't understand how we're going to build a building on, on, on this little offering for the understanding of the naysayer shall be hid for the logic of, of the Pharisee shall perish this is this is something that the Lord is teaching us here well, well I don't know how they're ever going to establish a church in, in, in Lafayette, well, what well, well, the the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent man shall be hid. Well, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Well, the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, but and the understanding of the prudent men shall be hid. So, so what we begin to understand here is that when it doesn't seem logical, it's exactly when the Lord performs. When it doesn't seem possible, can, can I jump back to 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 a few more minutes ago for this? He said to prove him for he knew what he would do so it's interesting how, how that the same words that are spoken in doubt are, are of the same people that will turn around and see the miracle come to pass and in Matthew 15, the wonder continues, and, and they did all eat, and they were filled. Notice, and they were filled. They didn't just eat to, to get by. They didn't just eat to get to the next day. But notice, and, and they did all eat, and they were filled. They were filled. Not they were hungry, not they were weary, not, not they barely made it happen, not they got by by the skin of their teeth, not they built a building with every last penny, but, but they, they were filled, they were filled. And, and they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets full. And they did eat. There were 4,000 men beside them, women and children so what we understand we talk about a miracle of 4,000 people but women and children weren't even accounted into that group of 4,000 I've come to prophesy to somebody that it's been prophesied a hundred soul revival but they didn't count the women and the children that's a hundred family units that's that that's 500 if you believe that you'd jump up on your feet if, if you believe that you'd clap your hand that that, that it's not it wasn't a hundred people it, it was it wasn't a 4,000 person miracle, but they didn't even count the women and the children. The miracle that God's promised our church, they didn't even count the, the they, they didn't even count the women and the children. But let me back up because I'm more interested in what is said in verse 37. And they were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left. Seven baskets full. Seven baskets full. He didn't just provide what they needed to eat alone. But at the end of the miracle, there were seven baskets left full. I think it's interesting that seven is the number of completion because he does not provide for the need alone, but within his provision is the completion of the miracle. He's not going to provide for phase one of a building project alone, but seven baskets full. He's not going to provide what's needed to sustain a little group of 50 people in Lebanon, but seven baskets full, seven baskets full, seven baskets full. Full of the meat that was left. That one word, the meat that was left, we translated as a statement, but it was one word 
in the Greek. And what is interesting here is that the Strong's Greek definition just so happens to list seven words, seven baskets, seven words that define the one statement in the meat that was left. These seven words are abound, abundance, to remain, to exceed, to increase, to be left, and to rebound. The statement for the, the meat that was left in essence means to abound, to remain, to exceed, to increase and to recover. Can I ask somebody what happens after the building? What happens after the church is established? What happens after the miracle is going to take place? It's going to be seven baskets full. But can I tell you what that means? That, that means that it is going to abound, to remain, to exceed, to increase, and to recover. What happens after the church in Lebanon is quote-unquote established? Well, it's going to abound and remain and exceed and recrease and recover. The miracle after multiplication was completion and the miracle after completion is repletion and the miracle after repletion was increasing after the miracle, after the process of the miracle. God multiplies it. He completes it. He repletes or recover it, recovers it. He increases it and then he repeats it. Can I tell somebody how that church is going? are going to be established in every neighboring city that doesn't have a church. I've got the formula for you. He's going to multiply it, complete it, recover it, increase it, and repeat it. How, how are we going to establish a church in, in Lafayette when we're building a building in, in Frankfurt? He's going to multiply it, complete it, replete it, increase it, and repeat it. You are not called to occupy a pew. You're called to multiply a city. You're not called to occupy a ministry. You're called to multiply the people in that ministry. You're not called to occupy a title or to occupy a role or to occupy, well, he's brother so-and-so. Well, he's the first apostle of the deacon board. Well, he's the, you're not called, called to occupy a name or a position or a title, but you are called to multiply a people in a city in a church in a revival we've messed up this whole tearing thing we equate tearing to occupying but I want you to notice that the last time that Jesus ever speaks of tearing he says and behold I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Yeah, it's okay to occupy a pew. Until ye be endued with power from on high. It's okay to, 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 to remain. Until ye be endued with power. The moment that you are filled with the power from on high. The moment that you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Occupying doesn't cut it. Tearing isn't enough. But God is... Is calling you to multiply the ministry, to multiply your prayer life, to multiply your home and your family and your fasting. Yeah. 
Can I tell somebody that every fish you bring is going to multiply? That every effort you give is going to multiply? That every hour you give at the new project is going to multiply? That, that every effort, that, that though maybe seemingly small and, and insignificant, God's going to multiply it. He's going to multiply that hour. He's going to multiply that dollar. He's going to multiply that dream. He's going to multiply that effort. We have to quit tearing. We have to quit occupying. We have to quit showing up, being used to seeing the same people, being used to, well, prayer was supposed to be there. Well, 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 altar's supposed to happen right now. We've got to get, we, we've got to quit occupying it. We've got to quit being comfortable with the same old, same old, the same faces. And the, I sit here, you sit here, and this is just how it's always been. Can I tell you the last words of a dying church? Well, we've, our, we've always seen it that way. Well, well it's always being that we've got to quit occupying. We've got to quit being comfortable. with, And, and we, we've got to start multiplying. We've got to start saying, well, that's weird. We normally have 20 guests on a Sunday night. Well, that's strange. I don't see anybody that I've never seen before. A few weeks ago, I was holding a conversation with somebody, and, and, and some guests had walk in, walked in that had never been here before, and I was approached by an individual that said, do you know who they are? With a real strange look on their face. I said, no. I said, I, said, I don't know who they are. And they said, well, that's strange. I've never seen them before. That's got to quit being the vocabulary of our church. That's got to quit being the mindset of our people. Well, that's strange. I'm used to seeing 50 guests on a Sunday night. Well, well, that's strange. I'm used to seeing the altar call full of people. Well, that's strange. I'm used to 99% of people responding to the message. Well, well that's strange. I'm, I'm used to, to more involvement than that. Well, well that, that's strange. We get used to occupying. We get used to, we, we get stuck in maintenance lifestyles and in maintenance ministries. You ever met an occupying person? You ever met somebody, well, I'm just trying to get by through next week. Well, how are you doing, brother? Well, I guess I'm doing okay. Same old, same old. But you ever met somebody that all that, all that comes out of their mouth is, well, I'm getting through the day. Well, well, I'm just trying to get through Thursday. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to. God has not called you to live a lifestyle of occupation. God's not called you to be used to, well, I get up at this time. I work my job at this time. I go to bed at this time and nothing ever happens. And the finances stay the same. And the sickness is still there. And the disease still rids my body. And the pain and the hurt and the bitterness is still within me and my heart is still hardened and I better just get used to it because this is how it's going to be. I talked to somebody one time. We were talking about a situation, and I was trying to encourage them. I was trying to speak motivation and life and just trying to amp them up, and they said, stop talking to me like that. This is just how it's going to be, and I'm going to have to get used to it. Yeah, with that mindset, that's how it's always going to be. But I've come to tell somebody that God is not calling you to occupy your sickness, to occupy hurt, to occupy bitterness, to occupy pain, to occupy disease, to occupy an empty bank account, to occupy pain in your body, to occupy strife with the brethren, to 
occupy the same old, same old, same hour, same time, same problem, same issue. But God is wanting to multiply you tonight where you leave change, where you leave expecting things that have never happened, where you leave believing God for things that you've never seen We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to get past day-to-day, hour-to-hour living. We've got to multiply. We've got to multiply our prayer lives. We've got to multiply our efforts. We've got to multiply our intentions. We've got to multiply the burden. We can't keep multiplying. We can't keep multiplying on our ministry. Well, pastor, it'd be a great idea if you taught them a Bible study. Well, pastor, it'd be a great idea if you had a prayer meeting on Thursday night. I know I'd be there. Well, pastor, it'd be, why don't you multiply your efforts there? Well, why don't we have another path of life? Well, why don't, why don't, we've got to quit putting the occupying, sorry, we've got to quit putting the multiplying on the ministry. We do the occupying, they do the multiplying. God's not called a church to be led by one minister, but I want you to understand the fulfillment of leadership. When a minister goes from being a minister to an administer of ministers. In other words, what that means is there's a transition that takes place that every time there's a need, it's not meant by the same minister, but when a need comes up, there is a church of ministers submitted to the administer, and they step in and they say, well, you know what? That Bible study would be good. I think I'm going to teach it. Well, you know what? We should do evangelism. I think I'm going to call it. Well, you know what? Somebody should invite them to church. I think I should do it. I've gotten so many notes left, and I thank you for it, but I've, got, I've had people leave me with contact information of an individual I've never met, and they've said, I work with this individual. I go to school with them. Can you call them and invite them to church? Can you teach them a Bible study? Can you? We've got to multiply. We've got to multiply. This isn't a, this isn't a, a victory that's going to be, that, that's going to be received by, by the shoulders of one man multiplying. He comes home and he's multiplied. He's multiplied. He's, he's tried to figure out how to squeeze and how to get every hour in and how to visit every person. What would happen if when somebody got sick in the hospital, more people showed up and they said, it's okay, pastor. I'll lay hands on them. I'll pray for them. I'll, I'll teach the Bible study. I'll lead the ministry. I'll knock the doors. I'll do the evangelism. I'll clean the church. I'll work at the campus. We've got to multiply. We've got to multiply. We've got to multiply. Somebody stand up on your feet and look at your neighbor and say, We got to multiply. We got to multiply. Quit occupying. We got to multiply. We've got to multiply. I can't hear your voices. Look at your neighbor and say, We got to multiply. Many years ago, all over the news, we saw what is now a very, a very famous instance called Occupy Wall Street. This was a protest that began in New York. It spread across the country, but there was an issue with Occupy Wall Street. They were defined as a people without a voice a movement without leadership, a battle without a defined enemy, a protest without an agenda. They were a Jericho without a shout. They were a people with, without a strategy. In fact, I read one article, and the article was simply enti- entitled, What Are They Protesting Again? What are they yelling about again? What are they, what are they marching for again? And that article continues to say, 
It's a bad sign when seven weeks into a movement, the public is still unsure what the protesters want. It said the movement seems to pride itself on the complete lack of leadership it exhibits. However, it can go, only go so far without proper direction. And the last statement given in this article simply reads, if they really want to make an impact, they should leave the park, remove the troublemakers, regroup, and get organized. I've come to tell you that if you want to make an impact, you got to leave the pew. you got to leave the park. you got to leave the same old, same old. We've got to get rid of the naysayers and the doubt and the confusion. We've got to remove those that are going to say it's not going to happen and that's impossible. We've got to step out of what is comfortable. We've got to step out into uncertainty. We've got to step out of, out of the park or out of the pew on faith and say, if the miracle's going to happen, I'm going to play a part in it. If the miracle's going to take place, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of seeing it happen. The failure in this group can simply be understood by the first word in their name, Occupy. They were a people comfortable with occupying a street and never knowing why. They were comfortable with sitting in a pew and never really knowing why they did it. They were comfortable with showing up to a, a work day and not really understanding the vision. They were comfortable occupying. But I believe that if that group would have got a multiplying spirit, they would have swept the United States regardless of what their beliefs were. I've come to tell you that nothing is going to come to pass by an occupying church. But the moment that we would get a vision to begin to multiply, the moment that we would get a vision to multiply our efforts and our intentions and our faith and our prayer lives and all that we would do, we would begin to see something happen. It's easy. It's easy to hear a message like this and we transition into the comfortable. We transition, well, on a Wednesday night, we don't do an altar call. We're just, we, we're used to, we're going to sit in our pew, we're going to sing two minutes, three minutes of a song, and we're just going to occupy in fellowship. That's not how it's going to come to pass. But I wonder if somebody would get a multiplying spirit, step out of your pew, push your neighbor out of the way, and say, I'm stepping up to declare that I'm going to multiply my prayer life. I'm stepping out to declare that I'm going to multiply my fasting. Come on, I wonder if I could get more than 10 people. I wonder if I could get a church full of people that would declare, we're going to multiply. We're going to multiply. We're going to multiply.